How are you feeling this week, man? I know you got sick last week. Yeah, I'm good. It's good to have I'm you back alive. in the office. It's good to be back. When, when you're That's not here, sweet. it's very lonely. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to. You think I go crazy towards the end <laughs> of the days here when you're here. <laughs> yeah. When you're not here, I'm walking Oof. around the house. It's like the Pedro um, Pablo Escobar meme, you know. <laughs> Hello, Bill GY. Hi, hi. And it's just me. Um, uh, fourth pod in a row. So we, we're, di- we're diving deeper into the bank to find topics to talk about. Um, we thought this week we would talk about um, what? You're, this is your pod, buddy. <laughs> we thought it'd be fun to talk about uh, kind of the CMS, like a retro of our CMS conversation. Um, Hey, because ask me how many bugs I've killed a, today. They're, they're UI bugs. Don't worry yeah. about them. Uh, <laughs> um, we're going to retro our CMS decision because uh, that's like a, we're, I don't know, a month out from that, maybe six weeks or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and just want to reflect on what we like about it, what we don't like about it. And then I think it would lead into a nice conversation around some of the stuff that Next doing is, is introducing with their cash stuff. So let's start with the high graph stuff. Um, we basically moved all of our content. Um, I guess it was never in a database. It never made it to our database. Out, of a, JSON, out of a JSON file. Yeah. Out of a JSON file. It was, it was split. It was in JSON files and then some the Vimeo URL was in a database. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's Monday vibes here at the Build UI office. We're trying to record a podcast. It's the end of Monday. There's flies that are just decided to attack us now that we've set up all the cameras. Um, so, uh, yeah, we basically moved it to an environment-independent CMS. I've been adding videos there every week. Um, right now, we have two ongoing series, our Tailwind series and our remix, our new brand-new remix course going on. And... Um, from my end, like it's been fine. There's some weird stuff with the UIs. You know, I think it's interesting to compare it to Ember Map, where we built our own kind of admin interface. Mm-hmm. There were some nice things about that because we could show exactly what we wanted to show. We could have an, like a little warning message if there was a video without a summary, you know. So that kind of custom UI for a back end, I guess, is is something that you if you could snap your fingers, you would have, but also the entire admin app that we made for Ember map was like pretty quickly became felt like debt in a way that that main app didn't. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that was because we built it as a separate app. And so it was hard. It drifted. Like if we had updated Ember in the main app and we didn't do it in admin, that was like more work. And so that was like a bummer, but um, yeah, that's kind of the trade-off, right? Using something like high graph, um, it's nice. I can do what I need to do in it. It's it's easy enough. And we don't have anything to maintain there. So that's pretty cool. That's mm-hmm. been pretty cool. Also, having the singleton data source has been nice because if I'm working on the homepage, I can see the Build UI library. That's great. I wouldn't want to give that up. Um, the environment. Independent, independent data. Yeah, I think yeah, that's huge. That's, like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. On the downside, I guess the biggest thing that we've noticed is the consistency, the lack of uh, immediate consistency. So... If you think about uh, like the cap theorem, um, consistency versus availability is usually trade off these systems make. Uh, high graph wants it to be high availability, and that means sometimes it's going to be stale. And if we had known that going in, it might have swayed our decision a little bit because, uh, well, at the time, especially, we were statically rendering the site. We talked about this last week while we're not anymore, so that's not as relevant. But, um, 
using a CMS was more about the storage and not ha- and just like letting using a tool that has support for all that stuff as opposed to serving our site in real time. Um, so the annoying part about it, the fact that HiGraph prefers availability to consistency, is that if I make make a change, someone tells me there's a typo in a summary, I make a change, I want to go and see it uh, in the local version. Um, before publishing it and i want to just refresh and see it immediately mm-hmm. but you have to wait like eight seconds or something like that because they yeah. just that they actually do want you to be able to s- serve your real-time data uh your real-time site you know at render time and um by going with like heavy caching that's the trade-off they make it's highly available and it's faster but it means it's going to be stale sometimes which actually for the most part works pretty well for a site like build ui because our content library only changes a few times a week and so typically if someone sees you know they don't need to see the latest version whereas seeing a stale version of your bank account would be a problem it wouldn't in a site like build ui Mm -hmm. but um for the development mode uh where you're seeing the content before I click, like move it to the publish stage. I would like to see, I would like to favor consistency over availability, even if it takes longer, just so I can see the latest version of the summary. So it'd be nice if there was like a way to do that, passing a key to it to get the latest version. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest surprise that we have from the CMS. Yeah, I think I think for me, doing the code for this are two things. Well, I I just want to first point out that I tried a whole bunch of these CMSs. I think I tried like three or four, but actually like pulled yeah, them into saw, our code base, yeah, like setting our prototyping stuff. And it's just amazing that you can actually use them in prototypes and then you still learn stuff six weeks later. There's nothing, no matter how much research you do, no matter how much, there's just nothing that replaces using the real thing in prime. Right. Right. So right, just, right, just, right. That just needs to be called out because yeah. it's just, you know. You think you can just, oh, I'll just build some prototypes and never works out that way. Interesting. So, um, like if you could have told six weeks ago, Ryan, you would have just said, just go for it and you'll learn faster just by getting into it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wanted to, this is, this is interesting. I wanted to try out different things. First of all, when like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very skeptical developer. So like everyone says our product is the best CMS, but it, you know, I need to use it. To right. figure out the API, see if they're going to fit with our system, right? our workflow. So I still like that. But then, again, there's still nothing that's a replacement of actually using the thing for, you know, a yep. month. So, yeah. Um, Just good to remember. Yeah. 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 Unknown and, all, and, and it is a known unknowns. And it's also um, the kind of thing that's like, uh, it's, a not, it's, a, it's a two-way door. It's not a one-way door. We can change oh, it yeah, very, very easily. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think the reasons we chose high graph were, I think GraphQL was really important to us. So like that kind of just separated basically a whole bunch of CMSs. Uh, they also had like, I, I think they had like the best UI. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think yep. they have a really good, really good UI. Yep. Like there's a lot of detail. Um, oh, definitely. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that, you know, we just talked about this when we were doing something, uh, the kind of thing that would never make it into like our own admin. Like you say what you want about building your own kind mm-hmm. of admin UI um, to be able to upload videos and all this stuff. Would you ever be able to like query uh, the thumbnail version with GraphQL types? Yeah. We, we update, we did this cool thing actually where I was up- uploading 
thumbnails for the videos to high graph and um they're like a six megabyte file export from figma and then slack told us when we previewed it it was too big for the url so we were like oh you know the the og tag should have a downsized version this is actually pretty cool and you just happen to know that the image field in the graphql schema from high graph uh which you had stitched together and exposed through Hasura. So we have one way to get both of our users and the CMS data. And we were querying the video on a video page to populate it. And now we could have a separate field that's an OG thumbnail. That's our thumbnail gone through like a resizer. And um, in this case, it was actually just specifying that making it a WebP. Yeah, um, that was enough, was to, enough to get it down, way down to 200 kilobytes or something. Yep. So... That was a that's the kind of thing that's extremely nice to have didn't require any code mm -hmm. and um came out of the box that we didn't have to worry about so that's why for us that kind of that decision is good so mm -hmm. anyways the reason i said that was you were talking about uh just graphql is really you were, for us. and like, you were happy like with a, high graph and that was an example of yeah. something that was good about the ui all of the fields on it not just like the image thumbnail one, but like what's how to make something required and it shows in the UI. Yeah, yeah. it's it's good on all those dimensions. Yeah. I think so. The like probably the biggest gotcha, and this is like it is a consistency that you brought up, but I think it's more um, a little more complicated with our serverless setup because we have this. We were statically generating the site, statically generating some pages. So when you get a change event from a webhook you want to go off and regenerate those pages, mm -hmm. but you can't regenerate those pages because uh, they're not consistent yet. So if you try ah, to generate those right. pages, you're going to just get the old version. <laughs> so like, like you said, you can just wait about eight seconds. So why not wrap it in a set timeout? That's eight seconds. Well, we're yeah. using serverless. So no wonder you like want to write rails apps. Throw and myself off you, a bridge. You've yeah. been hitting every, <laughs> pathological case with this stuff yeah. and then when they meet it's even worse <laughs> yeah. you've got a patholog it's got, like two got, waves it's that two, are in sync exactly yeah. <laughs> it's the serverless stuff plus the, the the inconsistent oh my goodness so uh silly yeah so that that's something and you know you you're like wait what you like you're like wait wait why why can't we regenerate these pages why is it getting old data and then you find the doc that's like oh yeah this is it makes sense like it makes sense for cms to be eventually consistent because you want to propagate that data all over the world so that every data source yeah that every data source has quick reads from it right but, but you have to give something up right and so it and, makes sense and if to the get, data doesn't change often then consistency is okay to give yeah, up yeah 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 uh but in our case we wanted to read that data as soon as we got a message that it was outdated so uh yeah that that created problems i think to solve that one well i maybe it's just not even worth talking about to solve that one we went to request response based rendering so when we yeah. get a request we read we read from the cms every time now that wasn't why we went to it but that does solve the problem, that does yeah, solve yeah, the problem. Yeah, exactly yeah. uh when, when we were statically generating the website we just statically regenerated yeah, statically regenerated these pages every 20 20 seconds mm -hmm. i think which is way too low but it was good it was fine for um yeah it just worked well yeah. for this uh the other issue was um rate limits so oh, this yeah. one, so this one was pretty pretty bad. Um, you could only make five requests per second, and you could pay for more 
requests. I think you could pay for up to like 50, but it was like over a thousand dollars or maybe it was even a contact us for pricing, which a site like ours that has eight pages, is not anywhere close to that bucket. But, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't make more than like five requests. Oh, per and second. It was, we were hitting that because during the bill, we were iterating through during the bill, all of the videos. You, you build each. every page. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. going to be, so I had to do something where I basically wrote like a throttle around the CMS. So if you're making a CMS, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The look on annoying. your face. Yeah. If you're making a CMS Extremely API annoying. call, you basically keep like a log of what you've called. And if there's been anything made and if there's been more than five requests made in the last second, you know that the next request is going to hit the rate limit. So you wait a second before making it. Right. Um, which for like a, which, for a statically generated website is it's actually like real it's like detrimental like mm-hmm. the consistency thing i think we could mm-hmm. find some clever ways to work around but having to slow down your build mm-hmm. because of of rate limits um was was surprised I, I was really i was actually really surprised by that because that's kind of uh, from the next perspective a, a good fit for the static architecture the idea that you have your data in a cms might be an old cms that's kind of one of the reasons that static site generation was like one of the problems was designed to solve so now you now that makes it harder yeah and i guess like i guess like you know if your price if you're trying to like do product pricing for a cms and you, you always try to say like okay what are our really big customers what problems do our really big customers have that our small customers don't have and and if you can isolate if you can draw a clear line around those problems a clear box around those problems you can charge more right. to the enterprise one so right. maybe request per second rate Makes limits sense. yeah it's like a nice like kind of like um i don't mean this negatively it's just like a thing that kind of works for all pricing models right, right. like um, right all services, right? You can just say, "Oh, we'll charge based up based off rate limits." Something like just, just without even thinking about the product, should just naturally separate your users. Right. So I can see them just, you know, they're not going to like say like, "Oh, you can't upload images because yeah. you're free," you know. So they need something. So rate limits was a thing, but in the world of statically, that misaligns you with the value, like with the the group, the bucket. Of yeah, the customer but you're it, in. right, exactly, exactly. In the world of statically generated websites a really small customer that has eight pages is going to hit that rate limit. Right. The same as an enterprise customer with 5,000 pages. Right. So, um, yeah. So th- I think those were the, the two most surprising things. Just good to retro them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, moving to request response, even if you cache it, you could do like, if you were, if I was, if we were talking to Sam and Ryan two months ago about this, well, I guess the request response thing and not building ahead of time solves it to begin with. Yeah. But even if you were working on a site that you had performance issues, like we talked about last week, that necessitated or led you to static generation as a way to solve those, you could also just do, you could also build those after the fact so you could do like the fallback blocking and not eagerly build any of them i guess that'd be another way to get around it if you wanted to get around that issue if someone was having this problem right you basically don't do the get you basically have get static paths as empty i know non-starter for me i know i we have like what do we have we have like 12 videos i know the 12 video pages yeah i want to build them like if you told me i can't build those 
that's like this is a non-starter for me mm-hmm. um if we had thousands like three thousand video pages we could say okay we're only going to build the top most, 10 yeah top 100 top 10 something like that right and uh basically like the head of right, right and, but right. we won't build the above long the tail. fold yeah almost, above the fold. you know <laughs> really like yeah um that I'd be okay with because you're spending, you're basically slowing down the build for right. a page that someone might never access. Right. right. But for GitHub some, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But for a site like ours, I would want to be able to build every page. Yep. Cool. Well, that, that leads us into the next discussion, which is related, um, which is the, the next cash stuff that they've been talking about. But I, we thought it'd be fun to talk about this because in light of, describing ember maps architecture last week with the use of our own caching layer and did we use fastly or did we basically borrow the surrogate keys we knew about the surrogate the surrogate keys concept i always associated with fastly man that's because it's It's like a varnish thing varnish yeah i thought there was a point we used fastly i think i tried it um the, the yeah i remember i tried it you had to put vcl which is right. varnishes language right. into like text areas, which is I, just yeah. <laughs> bad news for me. You know, just that's just the type of thing where yeah. I put a bug in there and then it doesn't get fixed for three months. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we tried we tried fastly. Fastly's fine. I mean mm-hmm. it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Cool. So um next cache is talking uh, uh it's like it's actually, is it in beta in 13.2, something like that? Yeah. It's like a minor release that came out with it. It's a new way to have cache entries that are at the page level or the fetch level. Is it just a fetch level? It's fetch. Yeah. Well, for the way, yeah. Fetch level, you can do it at the page level and you can do it at the layout level. Right. So that's pretty cool. And um, instead of talking about it, because it's still kind of in progress and it's beta we just wanted to use it to spur off the conversation like thinking about even the stuff with the cms eventual consistency building ahead of time building at request time what actually would be our ideal model here and it's pretty close to what we ended up with in ember map but in fact it gets a little bit cooler if you think about doing it being able to evict things like a specific fetches or specific layout segments um that's even more powerful i guess you would say uh, are potentially more powerful than what we had where we just had full pages um in ember map that were part of the cache right Mm-mm-mm. yeah yeah we cache page output so for example in ember map the home page uh we didn't fetch the user until you were on the client right right so that's a, let's say you wanted to go to a model where you only have one paradigm for data fetching and data mutation which should i think be the goal for all these systems so now you're saying okay the homepage has the current user in the header, but it has all these videos on the homepage. What's the best way to do that if it's too slow to generate it all at request time? And so you can't really do the whole page because of the header issue. You don't want to, but you don't want to bump the header off. And so think about what I would want to say. This is an area where it would be nice. You basically have the homepage in next 13 nested layouts world would be like index um page.tsx right Mm -hmm. and uh that would have a server component data fetch that's only querying the cms and it's shared data and the only time that home page query would change would be uh if there's something new published to the site which you would know 
So you would ideally want to cache that fetch, um, let's say forever, if you had a programmatic way to evict it, it's going to be the same for every user, right? The front end logic will be different because the front end is going to know whether the current user is authenticated or not. They're going to know about that from like the header or whatever. But in terms of like the page layout, I guess, I guess they would need to know whether the user has a subscription. That's kind of what we talked about last week, right? Yeah, you would, well, I guess we should back, like, I was trying to build up to having the header have like the user specific thing that is not cached because it is, you know, needs to be fetched at request time when the page is rendered, but then the data from the CMS can be cached. And that's kind of like a night, if you could do that in an easy way, and then you could also set up something that can programmatically evict the CMS data when our backend data changes, that's kind of like a nice, that would be a cool way to do it. Yeah, I think, I think so just you want to cache stuff. So we have like, you generate a static site, which is kind of like what we've talked about before. We talked about last week. It's a nice example you gave. You want to generate a static site, but then you can't put user information in there. Right. So you need some way to basically generate a static site and fetch user information. So you do like client side fetching, mm -hmm. but that's a bummer. Cause as you just pointed out, you have two ways to fetch data. So is there a way that you can get the benefits of the static site with one way to fetch data. And it's nice that if you could basically draw like little circles around all your, first of all, like, why do you want a static site? Because it's fast. Okay. Why is the dynamic site slow? Because you have like lots of IO database calls, calls to services. Like that's the thing that slows down the site. It's not like, it's not like it's CPU. You're not trying to like solve a Bitcoin and, and, and then render a page to a user. Um, so, and it's not even static, right? It's just like, uh, it's not like static. It means something pretty specific. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. like, again, like a well cached rail site, right? Like, like we have, we're querying six bookshelves on the home page and rendering there's like 40 or 50 videos. It's just like that is being hap happening every time. And uh, the reality is it doesn't change from one user to the next. I know, I know, but I'm going to, this is where I'm going to push back. Like that stuff is rarely a problem for us. Well, like, then why are we having, then why are we interested in like the surrogate key kind of thing? I, I'm not. Well, then. <laughs> no, no. I, then okay, so, we don't have to no, talk no, about that was, it then. That was, <laughs> that was me. I mean, we were interested in it for Ember and we, and Rails and we had a Rails backend. You know what I'm saying? No, but, oh, but that's that was because Ember was slow yeah, to generate. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't, no, it's I okay. Didn't, I, didn't mean that. <laughs> I think there's a lot of times where we want to use services, like right. we want to use a CMS for all the reasons we talked about yeah. and we don't want to have to rely on it for a runtime generation of our site. Right. Like, there's a lot of reasons it could go down. And sometimes, uh, it can be like, you have to know what database you're, what data center your service is right. running in. You have to basically figure out, well, if I have a user that's coming from Europe, like where's the waterfall if they're connecting to my server in Virginia and then my server in Virginia has to go off to another service in California like that. Your we have Stripe subscriptions in our local database because we control that and we want to use that to determine access to our videos. We don't rely on querying exactly. Stripe's API every time a user visits our site to figure out whether their subscription is active because that introduces just an unnecessary yes. reliance on another service and 
there's no reason for that. It's easy enough. Exactly. Right? So, exa- exactly. So, and for the same reasons, right. That's nice. You could imagine doing that for things like our CMS. Yeah. And exactly. so that's why we're interested. That's why, but one reason you would say this is a worth, if you could snap your fingers, this sort of API that lets you cache that kind of data would be potentially something you'd want to use because it removes the anxiety around having this be a runtime dependency of the site, especially when it's something like our content library, which actually changes less often than Stripe data does. It's Mm -hmm. actually the data that changes the least often if we're publishing three, four videos a week, right? Mm -hmm. And we know exactly when it's changing. So yeah, I, yes. Being able to query services that, that basically don't change. Right. Um, and not rely on them to respond at runtime. Not having a potential trade off response cycle. Yeah. Coupled with having one way to fetch data. Right. I think those are enough things that add up. Right. Um, they could add up. It's potentially, yeah. it, it, there's a trade off there, but yeah. 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 Yep. We're talking about if you could snap your fingers and this was built in, right? Like this was something that was. Um, it's hard. So it's hard for me to like, it's just hard because, um, I think I'd want to start with like, like some lower level blocks, like, mm-hmm. a, like kind of like, um, like the Russian doll caching from rails, some yeah. stuff like that. Like just some lower level, like look up this key in the cache. If it's there, I can serve its content. If not, I know that you can very easily like draw parallels and say like, this is the same thing, but the fetch cache I think, stuff yeah, I think I would want to see. I think before I went to like a fetch cache, I would want to, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I think I would want like a, a regular cache, like cache.set, cache.get, cache.delete, cache.evict, you know, that and sort of key, thing. And key, right, right, key, right. Set, set is keys. the key, yep. And then you can somehow link, you know, maybe pages that are accessing this cache entry. Um, the homepage has the keys. Okay. So let's, let's actually back up a little bit. Cause we didn't, we kind of jumped to the fetch cache, which mm-hmm. people might not know about. So part of what the next cache is introducing is a cache around fetch itself. That was part of the whole next 13 architecture too. The idea being that fetch is like the, the low, the common way to fetch data like that works on a client in a server. And so if everyone's using fetch, then it's like, a common denominator that can be shared. I guess that was the idea. Yeah. And that's kind of where you're, that's a part of your, the distaste, which is like a, a plain cache would be nicer in the sense that it would work if people don't use fetch, which if you're connecting to like an SQLite database, you're not using fetch to do that. So when I, when I think about our app, it's, it's hard for me to imagine like we make our, we're making one post request. Sorry, we make a post request. It's always to the same URL because we use GraphQL. Right. So it's always a post to slash right. GraphQL right. with different data. So I think this is a part that's like, it's hard for me to understand like how this will fit in. And it gets, when we talk about it abstractly, like I basically, yeah, sure. I, I need to like see. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So, but we don't, we don't. So anyways, that's part of what NextCache is introducing. And that's what the next team is working on. But we wanted to use it as a, to spur a conversation about what we want. Okay. Um, and so that, that uh, ability to, at the individual fetch call, that's what they're talking about. Caching and being able to revalidate in a similar way that you can do that with uh, pages in Next today. So you can like revalidate after time limit, or maybe there'll be a programmatic way to revalidate it. 
what you're talking about and kind of what we had with EmberMap and what we would like if we could snap our fingers is this concept of surrogate keys, caching and with keys and surrogate keys that attach cache entries to pages. So the idea is if you look at the homepage for Build UI, you see the videos, you see the current user. The current user, you could literally look at the component tree of the whole thing. And the header is part of a tree that comes down. And then the main section is the part is another part of the tree, right? It's all a single component tree all the way down. But you could break this up into subtrees. And the header would be one subtree. And the main area would be another subtree. And you can imagine the main area is literally shared across everybody. So Rails has this idea of Russian doll caching where you can wrap effectively what is a subtree of the component overall tree in something that says cache this for a given set of keys, of cache keys. And uh, in our case, we would say, okay, if all right now the homepage renders like the top 20 videos, the latest 20 videos we published to our CMS. And so we could wrap that in this cache key that says, okay, this depends on the videos published in the CMS and then the header doesn't. And so when you're building that page, again, you can think about this work can be shared and only done once. And then I have to get the current request, use the current request to get the user for the header. And, uh, and then you go to each individual page. Uh, and again, because each individual page would fetch the current video by slug and generate it in the rail style, you could do the Russian doll caching where everything related to that video has that key, you know, video colon one. And again, if you've never seen like a cache key before, it's literally just like a string. It's usually an identifier, like model name colon ID. So it'd be like video colon one. And, um, and then in the event that changes again, in a system like rails automatically takes care of this. We need to rebuild that on the next request now that that has changed. And you can just imagine using like the last updated at value for the cache key. And that's how the system would know to revalidate it. So this is what systems like Rails do. This is what systems like Fastly do. And, um, you know, we had talked about this. Someone mentioned on Twitter about surrogate keys. But if you've heard people talking about surrogate keys, especially with relationship to some of the ideas of the next cache, this is kind of the idea. You can have an array of cache keys that every URL depends on. And that way the system can automatically know if it needs to rebuild the page based on one of those keys in the array changing. So that's kind of like that concept. Yeah. And that's like, that's something that is valuable kind of regardless of all, a lot of the specifics of what we're talking about at like a higher level. That's like that, that concept was there and how we built Ember map, you know, and um, it's there in rails, Russian doll caching. And I think if we're talking about what we wanted, we would ideally have, it would be something very similar to those. Yeah. If you think about like, so, yeah, there's like so many layers to this. Most cache systems, they're like just transparent. So a request comes in, it goes to a cache system. Cache says, can I serve this request? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. Mm -hmm. And then it just lets the request go, mm -hmm. flow straight through back to like whatever service, whatever server can, can, can serve that. And then like, you know, the server spits out a response and that starts flowing back to the browser but it passes back through the cache system and now the cache system can just say, okay, next time I get a request, I'm going to remember this. Uh, and then someone else comes along and asks for a URL and you're like, oh, I have that in the cache. I can just serve that. And so the cache key just naturally becomes 
the URL. Mm-hmm. Like the URL, like can I serve this from the cache? Given that you have an HTTP request, like you just you look at the URL and say, I've I've got a I can I can I have an entry. Yep. Um, a lot of times now, like so, let's say you build up a giant cache. Uh, but then you go and you edit some CMS, like you, you edit something, uh, how do you know what to evict from the cache? Right. Do you want to empty the whole cache? Like maybe that's fine. Like there's a lot of systems that work that way. Maybe you just empty the whole cache and you let it regenerate. But if you only change like two out of 5,000 pages by your edit, then, uh, you would have to go in and you have to manually evict uh, the URLs that you change. So there's like, like there's this, like, um, this coupling between like you, the editor and the URLs, like you just know what URLs you've changed. Uh, a nice, like a nice thing about these surrogate keys is you can apply other keys to cache entries. So like, let's say a request comes in, the main key is going to be the URL, but then when, uh, you give the cache server, like, Hey, remember this, you can give it some secondary info and these are the surrogate keys. So you can give it like this page uses blog post one and uh, what's something else comments four, five and six. And that way um, if you, the editor change anything, you don't now have like a, you don't now have to go. You don't have to have the mapping spec- in your head. Exactly. Exactly. And you go from a say, change a lower level model or exactly. a piece of data that actually invalidates the URL. That mapping exists programmatically. Exactly. So you can just say, I edited blog post one, you tell the cache server that, and it says, oh, okay, well, here are all the pages uh, that have surrogate keys. That include yeah. blog post one as a surrogate key. Yeah. So how do you like, how do you tie these together? Well, when you're, when your original HTTP server that's actually generating the pages, not the cache server, but the, the, the real server, mm-hmm. uh, it has a header called surrogate keys, mm-hmm. surrogate key. And it can just put a bunch of, I don't know, comma separated values strings, in there, whatever. strings, yeah. And uh, then you can go to your cache server, you can say like throw away, you know, post one and it evicts all the right pages. This stuff gets like really tricky because like, you, it's just so easy to like, oh, I have a random comment that I'm showing on like the homepage and now, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's you show the tricky. latest comment on the homepage, and you're effectively going to have like a miss, a really high miss ratio, since the cache for the homepage is now going to be like stay, not uh, not able to be the homepage won't be able to be cached that much at all because people are commenting on the site all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're defeating the per like the, yeah. That's that's like the trade off that you make, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, okay, so then like backing up like we don't really have these like transparent cache servers anymore. Like our code, uh, can now make like data. Sorry, I should back up a little here. A lot of times we don't want to set up varnish. We don't want to set up these cache servers. We just want our code to, uh, make database requests, whatever, do IO and then have it, um, respond to the browser. And so, we need some way to like tie the database requests that it makes, like all the IO that it makes to the response that it's generating. So that if we change one of those things that was in the result, if I make like 10 database queries and uh, I serve up a page 
and then you go off and you make an edit and you make an edit to only like one of those database queries. Like, I don't want to invalidate the whole page. There's still 90%. There's still nine out of the 10 queries that are still servable by cache. Mm -hmm. So, um, what like rails does is rails, you, you, you did a good job explaining the, the Russian doll caching mm -hmm. rails still runs the database queries, but when it's generating the HTML, we'll just remember that like, okay, these queries didn't change between the last time I ran them. So I'm just going to go ahead and serve the old HTML, but it doesn't prevent the database queries from running. Those still get run. So in a traditional rails app, that's the fast part. The slow part is actually generating the HTML. So that's okay. That's like, that's how their architecture I mean, it, is set it, up. It, de it depends. Like, yeah. It depends. Like, so there are some Rails apps that will not write, they'll, they'll execute the database queries, some of the database queries in, in like the HTML, in the view template, mm -hmm. because they can use. Ah, they can, that's a like, cheap way to avoid doing it if the cache key around yeah. at the root of the wrapping hasn't changed, then they won't do that. But you're really like, it forces you to do this thing where like you're, doing fast query outside yeah. the cache, slow query inside. But that's inside. probably not how it's intended to be used. Well, like, well, also too, like the thing... That's interesting. I didn't know that. The thing inside yeah. could change, but the thing outside oh, yeah. couldn't change. So you kind of like... if it, Programmer error, in, you're saying. Or like, just like I have slow query that fetches data from slow service yeah. inside but, the but, Russian but doll. Presumably the programmer who wrapped the slow chunk in the fast chunk and used the fast part as the cache key was saying... If there's never going to be a case where the inner part changes and the outer one doesn't. Yes. So that would be a programmer but, error if, in fact, the inner stuff could change while the outer stuff didn't. It could, yeah, probably. Like, But it could also be like just the inner stuff does change because there's there's something that's different about those two queries, right? right? right. Like the fast query it's based, is right, fast. right. Because it's presu presumably fetching less than right. a slow query. Yeah. So, so you need. I can't help but think about, you know, the whole signals tweets uh, discussion over the weekend. Dan said, like, you're a framework builder and choose one meme. And it was like, um, fast by default, but you miss updates or slow by default, but you're always correct. <laughs> I can't. I mean, it's kind of, it's a, it's a similar kind of thing yeah. that we're talking about here, which is interesting. But, but I guess like the, the thing here is like, okay, so because be, you, you have are to have the two programmer queries. is determining is the one making the choice about what is important to rerun and not and can be cached and therefore they can introduce an error. Yeah. Whereas the Similar. framework, a tool that could do it, you, like you were saying, how can you tell there's nine database queries that don't need to change, but one that does? Right. Similar to you just say when i edit this entry these urls right. change that's that's like a riddle because you might forget that oh yeah that data was also used in like this right. other url that i forgot to tell you about mm -hmm. so that's also an area where like this interesting now so, now russian doll caching can like if you do have like slow view generation yeah. for whatever just yeah. like with just whatever reason some svg thing or something like that just you know, yeah whatever. you're generating yeah. like thousands maybe like the Query is really fast, yeah. but then the payload is huge. You're generating right. it's like, like star, that. yeah, like big time series payload from a database. It's just like star from entries. Yeah, you have like a million dots or something, you yeah, know, or whatever. It, it, Ten thousand dots. 
that's fine. It's going to be instant from the database. And then you try to each over them and build up a huge SVG. Like I've seen people in data viz do that kind of thing before. You'd want to cash that if it was the same thing. One of those New York Times exactly. data visualizations, that's the same for everyone. Like, yeah. But it doesn't, it's still like, yes, exactly. Yeah. But you still like, there's just still a weird thing that like it's cached, but I'm just caching like the final output of the page. I'm right. not caching the execution of the query. I'm and still are you saying that, that you, every time? Yeah. Okay. And when you're dealing, and then just bring this back to like when you're dealing with services, like for us, it's not the generation of the page. It's actually the query execution right. that's slow. Right. 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 So that's right, a, right, we need right, to, we need right. to eliminate the IO. Yeah. Um, so, so thinking about from the perspective of what you would want, if you could snap your fingers. So you want something that you want a way that when you query data, you know, the data that you queried, you know, the keys, basically. you just know, like I got back these blogs. I'm just like hand waving. Yeah. Cause it's, it's hard. But yeah. like I got back these 10 blog posts Yeah, and then you want a way when any one of those 10 is, Changed. Changed. Do you want a way to evict that any query that read from any of those 10? And you don't want to have to do this manually as a programmer. Like if you're thinking about ideal here, yeah. you want to basically, yeah, you want to basically you're mapping, inspect you're mapping. Your, the results of every single query and like use that as like your surrogate key right. when you're putting that query in the test. Mm -hmm. So like the query is like the SQ, the, sorry, the cache key is like the, uh, the SQL query itself. I was about to say, actually, in, in our app, we, you know, you, in like a GraphQL apps, most GraphQL apps, you end up having all your queries named. We have them in the same files as our components and pages because we like that. Some people put them in separate files, but conceptually, you can usually scan, you can scan an app like ours and see all the queries that we make. Mm -hmm. And that would be the cache key or the surrogate key. That would be the cache key. That would be the cache key and the, the result. result. results would be the surrogate key. Right. And you could imagine, definitely imagine a system that can look at a GraphQL query and tell you if it's changed by coming up with the updated apps for these things. Right. So, yeah. Um, so you, you could have a system like this automatically done for you and you would have none of the programmer, the vectors of programmer error where we're deciding, okay, what does it mean for our, this query on the homepage? Um, you know, I can know what it means to change it. Um, That's an interesting question. You could like, also start out like even more, you wouldn't even have to look at the fields. You could basically do something like what Urkel does, the, the GraphQL query library, which has uh, type name and ID pairs for every part, every model that ends up hitting in the database. So you could construct a surrogate key from that effectively. Yeah. So now I can say these two graph query, GraphQL queries are used to build the homepage, the URL slash or, you know, whatever. And slash, yeah. And, okay, now let's look at each of those. We get the type names. And now we have a set of surrogate keys that are used that if they ever change, we can evict the the entry for the slash. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like, yeah. It's it's an interesting question if like, if if this sort of caching system you just described can can just be put into any app. Right. It's an interesting question. Like, I kind of want to say like, yeah, sure, that should work. But then I, as a programmer, that's why you're saying you'd rather start with something like a cache.set and cache.get because I think so. But even I'm more just like asking, like, is it, is it like, if I just magically layer this into your app, yeah. like, would you be fully confident that your app 
it's going to work. It's going to work. And like, you should say yes, but then like, I don't know, do you actually feel fully confident that it's going to work? Right. Um, yeah, there's like times where I don't know you. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But anyways, just to kind of to kind of wrap up this conversation, like if you're thinking, I, I think we're just kind of thinking about this kind of out loud as these conversations are happening around the next cash on Twitter and other people are talking about different performance related things. And we're going through this like static back to runtime thing. So a lot of this is on our mind. It's like not super well formed, but it's like it's like relevant, I guess. Um, and when using services, it's relevant. Are you basically saying, uh, at this point, like where, as a, as a kind of a dumb cache uses URLs and then you can have this URL to surrogate key mapping that you can use to evict things when things change versus, um, instead of like chunks of rendering, because rendering what's slow, you have a service call, which is slow. And that's what you want to cache. Is that kind of like based on where you're at right now? That's like um what you'd be more interested in or actually is the rendering like you could imagine rendering everything from the starting with the main tag down on the home page who cares what services it hits if we can just actually say keep that html the the services are the slow part but what if you could keep the html i guess but the generating once you have like your graphql response turning that into html at least at least in in our our app is fast it's fast like that's not sure it's the service calls that are are slow and then also too just like but here just to just we want to do more service calls right right we want it like right you don't want to be limited by like uh, you can't add this service because we're already talking to three other ones but if you wrap the output then isn't it the same i mean no because if you still have to make the service calls to determine if the output's the same you still have to make the well service wait calls. hold on you cached out set homepage. you get all the h i guess it doesn't matter at that point because you're covering what i'm saying is if you if you basically cache the jsx return value from the page component then you are covering the call to the service and you don't yeah, have, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah it wouldn't but really then happen. but then <laughs> and you still need to set up something that says, okay, the CMS changed. Now it's a Vic that entry, yeah. right? So you still need something there. Right. Um, I just thought like just as a low level tool, I think there's a lot of like, so we were talking about like de- deriving service surrogate keys from yeah. the response. Yes. But imagine you have a query that's like, show me the trending topics on Twitter. Right. Those topics are going to change every minute. Mm-hmm. And so you can't, None of those topics, like if those topics were stored in a database, none of them, none of those topics might change. Right. But the trending, right. just the fact that over time they'll be trending will change. Right. Right. So you right. can't just blindly cache things based off surrogate keys. Right. Do you know what, does that make sense? Like, yeah, the query, it's the query. It's a query. Yeah, it's yeah, like the sure, result sure, of the sure, query. Sure, so sure. it's a tricky spot where sure. you want to cache the result of the query, but then, uh, you want to rerun the query, I guess, to, to check. Know, right. to, so maybe there's like, again, you're talking about ideal systems. Maybe there's just like a, a, a thing in like observability when like you're taking metrics from your system is <laughs> you sample. You yeah. don't take, you yeah. don't take metrics for every single request that comes in. You yeah, just yeah, say yeah. there's like a 10% chance I'm going to take the metric. So Maybe you run the run query it live and that way, you know, 10% of the time and you're like, oh crap, it's outdated. Yeah. You're really speaking about the general case now. Like you're trying to solve for the general case in a site like build UIs. It would be easy enough. Even if we manually had to set the relationship between the different pages we have, we basically have like 
Right now we have a home page. I mean, that, yeah. we have like three main pages: a home page, a video page that belongs to a course, and a video page that doesn't belong to a course. Those are like the main dynamic pages in the site um, that would be interested in caching. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we had to manually specify the surrogate keys tied back to uh, a GraphQL server, then that would be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think just like and and it, you you wouldn't need that hard of an API to let you do that. In a way that the tooling could take care of a lot more of that for you than what we had to end up setting up ourselves or have had to in the past. Like, I think there's a way where you, an API for you specifying what these keys are and, um, you know, being able to, I mean, it basically would look similar to ISR, right? ISR is, is similar to this at a page level. Yeah. Like ISR with surrogate keys, which uh-huh. is, which is a lot of what they're talking Next cash about gets to mm-hmm. but I, again i think i want f- i i learn by doing the lower level stuff mm-hmm. so i think i would want to start with the lower level stuff and then see the problem the problems that get introduced with it and why like the higher level caching the fetch request is better right so, so just a cat literally a cache you're in your you're in your uh you're basically can get server-side props and you have a cache object that you can use to set and get and evict and yeah. whatever and and um you hit anti- your cms anti-surrogate keys too which yeah is exactly like, which is exactly like, yep um you could even do it where like you just query it and uh you fit how would we do this in uh Let's say you're doing this for a single video, a pro video on build UI, get server side props, which is what we use now, fetch the user. Um, and then you fetch the video and then you say, so I'm just kind of anticipating something, but basically you would say, okay, you fetch the user, you fetch the video with all of its attributes, the title and the summary and everything you put it in the cache. And then maybe you have uh, like updated at is like what you use to know um how would you if you had like this low level cache thing how would you know whether you go to you can read from it safely or this is where this is where you'd want to depend on the surrogate key so you'd right. say it's in the cache you can always read from it safely right and then it's in the cache some- okay so the first time it gets read and you query the thing because it's cache entry is not there for video id one two three you put it in the cache next time someone comes then you can go ahead and say, oh, there's a cache entry it's for video one, two, three. I read it. That's kind of the transparent layer you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. So, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Go. So some, the reason I was going ahead with this is someone might say, well, isn't that what SSG does for you? Like you uh-huh. are building ahead of time. And isn't that the same thing as saying, um, I'm kind of understanding something that I was missing before. Isn't this the same thing as building it ahead of time? You're going to have a static page that is at... Uh, public you know or what, what it's gonna be at size video slash one two three that is effectively a cache entry right because we're saying the server is saying uh you're routing to this page it's here in the cache i'm going to serve it up for you and then don't you have an api with isr to evict it and rebuild it if you need to so the difference is that we get to do this and get server-side props and so now we can have a fast cache lookup for our cms data uh, but uh we still get to get the current user from our auth and then return and dynamically build a page 
from the server that either has the video covered with a you need to buy a pro and maybe we can take out the summary and the video url that's private or we return the whole thing so that 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 is what if someone has used next before or something like it to solve performance issues with runtime services seeing how ssg solves that and then he is hearing what we're talking about and thinks like aren't they the same thing that's why they're not so you have a cache that you can interact with during get server-side props and now you can kind of use that to surgically find the parts of the request that are, like we're saying maybe depend on stripe maybe depend on uh, cms like high graph or whatever and you don't want to have to do that and you also want to share you just want to cache work that can be shared to speed up the site you know? yeah like you said if the video page is the same for everyone you can draw a circle around it yeah, yeah exactly be super interesting to uh to imagine a world where you do direct lookups against stripe and you just you cache their values and then you evict with you events evict, like, like you yeah right exactly. so that's the, the other events. part of this so the other part of and this you is, surgically like yeah you basically like we're confident enough the cache actually yeah use stripe at runtime right 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 that'd be a i mean that'd be kind of because like it is true like we have our own subscription table that we query against we store some like metadata about the subscription in there like but um mm -hmm. it is really just a like a, a cache almost like a database yes, view yes. of stripe yes wouldn't it be great to just go to stripe and and have this layer automatically be able to fill up the cache as people use the app and then but you don't have to ever maintain this tab table yourself you could imagine having a cache object that, that lets you do that uh, or like write a server like we use an mmm whatever the, so the other part that i missed was like this is how your get server side props looks where it checks if there's an entry and returns it. Otherwise it goes to origin server of like high graph or whatever. Then you have a web hook set up that would listen for change events on high graph. And then that's how it evicts it. So the cache on the reading side, um, and the writing side, uh, is just using it as a dumb cache with like get and set. That's it. And then the evict part is like a separate layer. Um, what was I going to say? Shoot. I guess, I guess the big thing is like what, like, Oh, right. So okay, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, so for this to work, you need like either persistent storage, semi-persistent storage, shared memory, like a Redis server, right. Um, or like a long running server that could share this. You could build this very like, uh, like, uh, in the, the dumb way to do this, would be like if you had this server running you're like how can i share this cache right you need some shared memory there yeah that's yeah. fast and local that's the whole point so redis could be used for for that sort of thing so that your webhooks and your request can all go to the same thing you get yes yeah right. yeah so yeah. that's like the last part of this if you're thinking about how you're going to build this or how a tool like it, it could, like a framework could let give you an object that would do this it would you would say you could just take it and like for example put it on like a serverless thing you would need some durable storage Yes. For this to yeah, live, yeah, yeah, yeah. if the framework were to provide you this kind of lower level cache interface that you're talking about, you would need some extra shared storage, durable storage that can be shared. So anyways, what were you going to say? I think when you're like the big thing for me, it's uh, happy we're exploring this, but like, what is like, what is the lowest level you can yeah. get? Because <laughs> when you talk about durable storage, yeah. Redis server, that's 
too low level, I think. Like that's too low. Maybe, maybe, but but then you realize like the SSG stuff is all designed to solve this problem and ISR is too. But based on our entire conversation last week, it's too high level because having a single static page for a site that can exist in two states actually is enough of an impedance mismatch introduces enough friction to the development process that we don't like that, right? So that's like this taken, that's like this over abstracted in a sense. And now it's like, how far down can we come down? We don't actually want to end up with html files for urls turns out that's not what we want because with dynamic stuff given that we want the constraint of a single way to do data fetching and we don't want to introduce dynamic data fetching on the client a single html file for a url is actually not what we want right so then you say well yeah low the redis store is like very low level um and then this caching layer is like somewhere in between right what what they're right 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 yeah exactly so and then you think about the rails which is like these like chunk so of template and then you think about like database query whatever right so there's that's like the continuum there's a there's like these different areas where you could inject a cache and solve these issues that would mm-hmm. let you have benefits of services like stripe and and um high graph without having to architect like anything else when i when i say like redis is too low level i meant like it's fine if redis is actually what the implementation is is sure. using to store but if i'm in get server side props and i'm saying okay let's connect to redis yeah I don't does know. it have this key right that feels like too low level Maybe. i want i want an api that's like cache.get yeah key and then sure. if that thing hides Uses the redis, redis right that's totally fine but so yep so there's different levels here so like one level could be i'm mad i'm me the programmer i'm connecting to redis and right. doing query lookups. and get server side props right. Another level could be like my build tool just outputs the HTML. Another idea could be like this next cache right. where the outbound fetch requests just kind of act as a transparent proxy that starts writing data. Right, and then right, like another right. level could be components. Components, yeah. Um, We've talked about that before. Cache, cache component based on props, you know. So yeah. then it's like I don't even care what data if you're doing fetch or anything like <laughs> And then a way to evict those, basically, right? Yeah. Or, or somehow tell if the props have changed. Yeah. So there, yeah. that that's that's the um... that'd be pretty cool, like an accessor. <laughs> I'm thinking about like the identity function from D3. <laughs> when you buy in D3, when you like fetch, like you have a time series, and you're like each data, you have to there's an identity function you use, which is basically the key each element so you can tell whether it's just like frame of motion, oh, updated, exit, yeah, or yeah, enter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. So. If you pass props to like your page components or basically your components in React, you could have an accessor function that's like a way to specify identity. And then if that thing changed, now you have a programmatic way. Okay, evict any cache entry with this identity. And then um, now you're just caching components. JSX. It's like, you know, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, with, with like server components, components being able to fetch their own data. Yeah. And then maybe building like cache on top of this. So you could have like your homepage component. It fetches, you know, whatever the homepage is. And we just evict that right. either at some interval or when any video on the homepage right. changes. Interesting. Yep. Um, it's nice. A nice thing about that is you can, the component layer can include both the data fetching right. and the output. Right. More with like with like a system like Rails, the right. view layer is the view, the controller layer is the data fetching right there's not much unless you're well that now you're doing the weird thing that you talked about which is you're trying to cache an inner part of a view layer that actually is a data layer (laughs) concern and now you're having like 
you know, you're using like that to fake avoid the work of the data layer. So yeah, pretty interesting. Well, I don't think we're going to solve it today, but I think it's helpful to talk about some of this stuff out loud just because it's been on our minds and like, you know, I think, I think ultimately the best way to do this is like focus on the problem, not the solution, right? What is the actual problem? Actually, until we just had this conversation, I wouldn't have even considered the fact that we have Stripe data locally a problem. That's just how we would build a site always. But in reality, um, that's actually like not business. Like if we could just have an API for querying Stripe at runtime to see if someone has a subscription or not, that would be better because then we wouldn't have this other, you know, set of data locally. But that's so that's kind of interesting. It does seem like as you move farther and farther. By the way, this is also something that like Stripe. Stripe isn't even like considering this because they're just like, right. No one's going to put a runtime dependency on us. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I do think also this is like just like a, uh, maybe a different point or like, I think as tools get more advanced and frameworks get higher, which I think has happened. Like if you look at what we were building with 10 years ago versus today, like it's a lot easier to do things today. There's things that people would have considered business logic that make their way into the abstractions and aren't anymore. So, um, Give it, yeah. for example, like, uh, having to return, let's say you're making an API route and you're returning data, but like when you're, um, your API route throws an error, you need to return like a 500, right? Okay. Okay. So in the past you have to do this like if else, and then you have to return status code 500 these days, like, uh, tools like next automatically do that if an error is thrown and they set the status code to 500. It's like 10 or 15 years ago. Someone might've said, no, that's part of the business logic to do that. Uh, uh, Right. uh, And then, then now it's like, well, yeah, but it's not really unique business logic to my app. So the framework can take that off my hands. There's a lot of things that frameworks and technology take off your hands more and more. You shouldn't have to know how to set up, you know, email. That's obviously business logic because your your app has to email someone when they sign up. Actually, it turns out Rails has a mailer that does this for you. And so really the business logic is what the contents of the email is. <laughs> That's the sign. So I was saying, you know... Um, setting up mail would have seemed like, yeah, that's part of your business concern. And like your application sends an email when someone signs up. So you need to know how to do that. And then fast forward to like Rails Mailer. And it's like actually the contents of your email uh, is what is a business concern and what differentiates your app from something else. And you having to set up, we actually think you having to set up an email server is like a distraction and something that can we can commoditize. And and like DHS has conceptually compressed, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like that, that is like this conceptual compression is what the whole evolution of all this stuff is where the area that you have to focus on, it becomes narrower and narrower and more of the technical size taken care of for you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think, I think it's, uh, like you said, there's like hesitancy on the side of the programmer to, for an API that will work and make my life easier. But, um, there might be a day where this sort of thing is as common and well abstracted away as things like mailers are for mm-hmm. us in a new rails app. And, you know, you, one day you do just, you are able to just point your components to a service like Stripe and, you know, yeah. that's it. And there's caching that's happening in the middle, you know, in a way that makes sense for what it is you're querying and how specific it is to the user, and, you know, what the cache hit ratio would be for your audience and uh basically 
the database. Like like today, we would say, oh yeah, you're building an app that bills people and it uses Stripe. Okay, so you need to learn how to make a local database that has the data that's relevant for your subscriptions because that's how you do it. And yeah, that's part of your concern as a business, but maybe it's not in five or 10 years. I totally, totally agree with that. And um, yeah, if you can eliminate the the join table that glues yes. together your auth service yes. and your Stripe data. Yes. And uh, you can just replace that with runtime calls that don't have any cost. Uh, pretty nice. Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting. Cool. What um, is that saying? There's only two hard things in computer science. I, I forget. I forget how it goes. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh with that, let's uh, wrap this episode up. I, I do, I do. That is a kind of a new way I'm going to be thinking about this. I, I think, you know, as we've, as we've talked about the caching stuff, you've always been like, there's part of you that's been like, well, you don't want to go too far because we just saw what happened if we go the, too far to the static generation. Yeah. Which I, I didn't, it's the I connection wouldn't have there. Said yes. that I wouldn't have been able to connect that. Yes. The connection is actually, listen, what's frustrating is not, uh, the idea of wanting to like cash. This is the thing. Like, if it feels like you're caching for the sake of caching, that's where it's like we've lost sight of this. And people talk, yeah. people talking about static generation and static things. Why do you actually, you don't actually want that for its own sake. The reason you want caching is to enable you to do the kinds of things we're talking about, which is I can query Stripe, let's say, or do a join between my auth service and my billing service and not worry about it. Maybe caching and static is part of what makes that possible, but I actually don't care about that. Actually, from my perspective, I want it to be more dynamic and I want it to execute the query uh, at the time that the request was made conceptually. So um, that's kind of an interesting way. I think that would be one way to make this stuff connect better with the, the app developers. And that's what they care about. I actually don't care if I have a static site or not. That's not something. Yeah, that's, that's not true. a benefit. That, that, it's not value. That's true. I don't really care if our... I mean, this is stupid, but I don't care if our calls to our auth service are cached yeah. because A, that's like a low cash to hit ratio. And, but B, it's never, it's not a problem. It's, it's not a fact. problem. But if you told me I get to eliminate yeah. the stripe table, yeah, the joint table, or we can, we can add in a fifth CMS. Exactly. And not have to worry at all about introducing another, um, now there's five different services that have to be awake for our site to be generated. Like, it's kind of like what you said. That's what's really cool about SSG is like, well, it puts you in this mindset where we can just add stuff because yeah. the site is built ahead of time. So what if the tool could do that without giving up the request response cycle, which is obviously something you shouldn't really be asked to give up ever, honest, in our opinion, right? You shouldn't, you should be going from request response to request response that adds services, but it's not that you're making it static and then you give like request response should be the fundamental constraint that you build everything off of. It's not something that you give up, you know? Yeah. Then you can dial in. Yeah. Yeah. How you access data. Interesting. I kind of like, I, that was like a p- bit of that a circuitous good. conversation, it, it got, yeah, but, but I feel I like, like where, where we ended up is a better way to think about it. Um, and, uh, you do see a lot of people, which feels like it's talking about static for the sake of static when in reality, um, yeah, that's a really good, we just, you're <laughs> yeah, it right. It doesn't actually we just, matter. We just need to ask like, what, what does this let us do? Yes. Because yeah, I'm always going to want that lower level thing to better right. understand the tech, 
But then, but maybe it's not. But if you just said this gets rid of that stripe, exactly. Label, I would say exactly. Here's my credit card. Yeah, yeah. No, t- dude, so. totally, totally. Interesting. Very interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, problems we really have. Stripe join table. Uh, you know what happens to our site if high graph goes down? What happens to our site if Hasura goes down? Those are like those are actually the kinds of things that keep us up. Yeah. Also, I just like using more service like yeah. a ser- if a service comes along having to think about that in the request res- i don't want to ever have to think about right. that in the request response right chain so. right pretty interesting all right let's wrap it done monday night 5 30 ready for a good week we're gonna uh have some remix content we just started a remix course on the site my first remix app so uh if you're looking to build a nice request response react javascript <laughs> website it's actually going to be a um work journal app which is similar to what's on my site i used to use it maybe i'll start using it again it's actually pretty fun but um it's going to be database backed website with authentication it's going to be a work journal that you can make and track things and create read and update and delete we're going to use actions and loaders and fetchers and have some animation in there so um you're going to learn the essentials of remix there so if you are interested in uh some content that we have that's going up on build ui we already have the first video out second videos we got this week um we also have a tailwind series a course that we're right in the middle of so uh lots of good stuff coming there and um yeah i think that's uh, that's about it for us this week but yes. uh thank you for listening and um we'll see you next week see you bye